The White House approves a major weapons sale to India. What do U.S. officials hope that will do for their Indo-Pacific strategy? Produced by Defense News and Military Times, this is the Early Bird Brief. Each morning we bring you the defense and national security news of the day. This is a proposed sale that was announced during Prime Minister Modi's visit last year. Uh, we believe it offers significant potential to further advance strategic uh, technology cooperation with India and military cooperation in the region. And Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin addresses reporters for the first time since his secretive hospitalization. What does this all mean for defense and security? You'll find out. I'm your host, Simone Perez. Today is Friday, February 2nd, 2024. First of all, early birds, happy Groundhog Day. A quick heads up, be sure to tune in on Monday for an episode with Pentagon Bureau Chief Megan Myers. She'll provide updates on the rise of attacks against American troops in the Middle East. But if Paxitani Phil doesn't end up seeing his shadow, we're going to start releasing the episode one hour later. That's a joke. That is a joke. We will be releasing the episodes at 5 a.m. no matter what the groundhog says. First up, we have a story about a weapons sale to India. But before that, we have a very important note. Defense News freelance reporter Vivek Raghavanshi was jailed more than eight months ago by India's Central Bureau of Investigation on claims of espionage. Those who worked alongside Vivek knew of his integrity and high ethical standards in journalism. But his arrest by Indian authorities without evidence or further information is a glaring strike against press freedom within India. Our editors here at the Early Bird Brief have called for Vivek Raghavanshi's immediate release. Now to the news. The White House approved a multi-billion dollar drone sale to India. State Department spokesman Matthew Miller praised the sale. The defend, uh, India Defense Partnership has seen significant growth over the past decade. Um, this is a proposed sale that was announced during Prime Minister Modi's visit last year. Uh, we believe it offers significant potential to further advance strategic uh, technology cooperation with India and military cooperation in the region. Capitol Hill reporter Brian Harris joins the episode to break down the drone sale. So, Bryant, what sparked this sale to India and what exact drones are being sent? Yeah, this sale came about when Prime Minister Modi of India visited um, President Biden at the White House for a state visit in Washington last year. And at the time, India agreed to purchase several um, Sky Guardian drones made by General Atomics. So this sale that was notified to Congress today is $4 billion sale, a little under that. And it's for 31 MQ-9B Sky Guardian drones. Yeah, and take us through the strategic thinking of the sale. What are officials hoping will come of this drone purchase? Well, one thing the U.S. is trying to do is kind of wean India off the Russian defense ecosystem, especially after the invasion of Ukraine. Uh, Russia has historically been a big supplier for India. And at the same time, uh, India has an interest in um, developing its own uh, indigenous defense ecosystem. So, you know, when Modi visited last year, in addition to this drone deal, there were some things on co-production between the U.S. and India on things like fighter jet engines. And at the same time, uh, as they're doing all that, the U.S. is hoping to lean on India as one of its partners to counter China in the Indo-Pacific, especially because India and China obviously have a disputed border where there are um, oftentimes clashes. 
Another important story, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin addressed reporters for the first time since his secretive hospitalization following surgery for prostate cancer. He told reporters that he did not direct his staff to keep his hospitalization a secret, but he did concede that he is a private person and that he did not initially want to share his cancer diagnosis. Austin said he doesn't believe he has created a culture of secrecy in his office, but that his staff might have felt that they were acting in his best interest by concealing his health status. Taking this kind of job means losing some of the privacy that most of us expect. The American people have a right to know if their leaders are facing health challenges that might affect their ability to perform their duties, even temporarily. So a wider circle should have been notified, especially the president. He also called the failure to notify the president about his condition, quote, a mistake. The White House learned on January 4th that Austin had been hospitalized and on January 9th learned that he had been treated for cancer when the Pentagon made the public announcement. The Pentagon is in the midst of a review of how it handled Austin's hospitalization. Austin said that the new policy will require notification of both the deputy secretary and several White House officials when the defense secretary is incapacitated. Deputy Defense Secretary Kathleen Hicks assumed Austin's responsibilities multiple times during his initial hospitalization, but wasn't told why she was in charge. The cancer was first detected by blood tests in late 2023. He underwent a prostatectomy on December 22nd, but started feeling leg and abdominal pain, fever, and shallow breathing on January 1st. Also on your radar for today, advocates are criticizing the VA's response to what they consider LGBTQ harassment. For more on this, Capitol Hill Bureau Chief Leo Shane III joins us. So Leo, what are you hearing from LGBTQ employees that are working at the VA right now? Yeah, there's a lot of uh, discontent and concern among those employees um, because they feel like there's been a rising number of incidents of harassment and uh, unfriendliness, um, outright abuse in a couple of cases that hasn't really been responded to. The most recent ones uh, were at the Portland VA out in Washington. There was a sign posted that uh, in the elevator in a public space that mocked uh, recent diversity efforts by VA, asked if it was all right to be white and straight in VA, could you still get care? Um, and then a handful of uh, handouts related to suicide prevention that were targeted at LGBTQ plus individuals were thrown in the trash and employees uh, uh, business cards who, who works on that were also thrown in the trash and a few other uh, signs were, were torn down for safe spaces and things of that sort. So there's nothing that's that's a, a uh, major system-wide uh, incident in any of that, but it comes on the heels of a editorial in The Hill last week um, from three VA psychologists who openly complained about out VA being too welcoming to transgender veterans and saying that it's at the detriment of female veterans. It comes as VA has been dragging its feet on new policies related to transgender surgery and, and, and um, offering them. There's a lawsuit that's been pending about that that we've talked about on this podcast. So the, the totality of all this, veterans uh, who work there and veterans who are visiting are starting to complain that, look, it doesn't feel like VA is as friendly as it, as it claims it's, it's supposed to be. So what's the agency's response to these claims? VA has said they don't tolerate any any of this discrimination or vandalism. They're looking into the Portland incident specifically. Um, on that Hill editorial, they sort of punted, though. They said, look, you know, uh, VA employees are allowed to have their opinions. Um, a lot of the, the advocates that I spoke with said they didn't feel like VA came out strongly enough against that to, to counter some of those messages. Um, this week, uh, VA Secretary Dennis McDonough had a uh, his monthly press conference 
Johnson was asked in general about if he feels there's enough support, if he's worried about, you know, discrimination against uh, um, some of these employees. And he said that he has worked to make VA as welcoming as it can be, but he knows there's still work to be done. They'll continue to do that. But he didn't really unveil any new initiatives or any new procedures that they're going through. So that that raised the, the eyes of some of the advocates I talked to and some staffers who said, look, this is this is not enough. We need to see some real actions. We need to see some movement. Otherwise, we're going to start to worry that VA doesn't have our back. And now here's some other stories we're hearing chirps about. The leaders of 27 European Union countries will provide Ukraine with a $54 billion support package for its economy. U.S. defense officials said Yemen's Houthi rebels fired a ballistic missile Thursday at a Liberian flag container ship in the Red Sea. For the first time in the history of the Space Force, a Guardian is set to launch into space on a NASA mission to the International Space Station. And the Washington Post reported that some precision equipment for Russian arms makers came from U.S. allied Taiwan. A post-examination found a Moscow-based importer also sought to supply a secretive Kremlin effort to mass-produce attack drones. And on this day in history in 1943, the Battle of Stalingrad ended. It concluded one of the most pivotal battles of World War II. That's it for us this morning. To get more top stories and breaking news, go to defensenews.com EBB to subscribe to the Early Bird Brief newsletter. Please give us a like, a rating, a comment, wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow us on social media at defense underscore news and at military times. The Early Bird Brief is hosted and produced by me, Zamone C. Perez. Today's episode featured stories by Brian Harris, Megan Myers, and Leo Shane III. Our editor-in-chief is Mike Gruse. Go catch your worms, early birds. <laughs>